Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Hancock, and along with my Sharpie ballot-marking friend Patrick Curran, we make up Quantitude. We're a podcast dedicated to all things quantitative, ranging from the relevant to the highly irrelevant. In today's episode, we discuss Patrick's idea for a process of post-publication review in which an entirely new journal is created for the sole purpose of reviewing the soundness of the quantitative methods used in papers that have already been published in flagship journals. Harebrained scheme or sheer genius? You be the judge. Along the way, we also mention driving with no headlights, homemade firecrackers, modified wheelchairs, the IJCC, guacamole at Margaret's Cantina, dishwashers and jet dry, the IAD, a blind pig finding an acorn, the 15 commandments, and Jamaican bobsleds. We hope you enjoy today's episode. So I got an email yesterday from a buddy of mine who I work with at Carolina. His mm-hmm. name is Steve Bazinski. He's actually a Maryland grad, a PhD psych Maryland grad. So he's a, mm-hmm. what are you guys, the fighting turtles or something? Hey, easy there. We're we're terrapins, which is nothing like a turtle. Except even pre-pandemic, when I came up to visit you, you kept insisting I touch the turtle, <laughs> which was a giant brass petri dish, and that was before the pandemic. Right. That's not a euphemism. <laughs> exactly. Go lick yeah. the turtle. It's not inappropriate at all. There are several bronze terrapins, to be clear, around our campus. And students, for luck, will rub the nose. Or at times of midterms, they will make offerings to Testudo. It's cute. I have pictures of the kids when they're like two years old sitting up on Testudo. It's a fun thing. So Steve is a fighting turtle. <laughs> But he sent me a very funny email. Mm -hmm. He had listened to Bayesian about waking up Roy. He and a fellow buddy of his, a guy named Scott Roberts, Mm -hmm. they came up with an idea for a new podcast that they wanted to listen to, where the entire podcast is calling experts in the field at 5 (laughs) a.m. and giving them pop quizzes on their field. And he said it was just a suggestion, but that they would listen to an entire podcast (laughs) Of just wake up calls. <laughs> Dr. Roudenbush? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. One, Steve, thank you for the idea. I love uh-huh. that. Second, it's a great idea for you, mm-hmm. but a horrible idea for us. <laughs> Because I got to tell you, about half Uh the field already does not talk to us. And if we start calling people at four or five in the morning, we're just going to alienate ourselves from the rest of the field. To be clear, they don't talk to me because I'm associated with you. I'm not sure you needed to make that clear. I thought everybody understood that. Fair enough. Fair enough. You also know the general rule is that if I'm going to fall off the back of the stage, I'm going to (laughs) take the guy to the right and left of me. And you just happen to be to the right of me. Here we go. When I read it, it got me thinking about horrible ideas and <laughs> truly horrible ideas. And so what I wanted to do was to ask you mm-hmm. to share some horrible ideas you've had. <laughs> now, to clarify, these are not accidents. These are not uh-huh. bad luck. Uh-huh. These are not, wow, I could not have seen that coming. These are volitional decisions that you mm. thought good was going to come from, and it uh-huh. did not. So as pure hypothetical, let me just set the stage, all right? Okay. These are totally made up, hypothetical. It's not like these happened at all. So Mm -hmm. for example, you're an adolescent. There are eight or 10 of you and your buddies. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some light underage drinking going on. Mm -hmm. Two cops show up. There are 10 of you. There are two of them. You like your odds. And so you decide to bolt. Except the volitional decision is you bolt first. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Bad idea. Second, purely hypothetical. Uh-huh. Also in adolescence, you're driving home. It is way past curfew. You are in deep if you are caught. At the top of the street, you cut the lights and the engine. And you coast down the hill. <laughs> and you turn into the driveway. And as you're about to pull up the emergency brake to stop... You rear-end your mom's car, who for some inexplicable reason did not put it in the garage where it's supposed to be. Purely hypothetical. Purely hypothetical. So Uh that's just setting the stage. Hmm. 
Give me a truly dumb idea that you have had. Wow. Well, those hypothetical bars might be hard to clear. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I've done little dumb things like making explosives out of gunpowder and tampon applicator tubes. I mean, hypothetically, <laughs> one might have done that. You have an approach like truly stupid. I'm talking about okay. epically bad idea. Because hmm. where I'm going with this is I'm going to share with you okay. an epically bad idea that we can wow. talk about today. But I kind of want to get some context so mine doesn't look quite so bad in isolation because I can say at least it wasn't as bad as yours. Yeah, all right. Let me ramp up a little bit. I had one that I didn't go through with that was just an idea. I don't know if that counts. Well, you be the judge. You be the judge. Oh, right. I judge so you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I am in my early 20s and I had this brilliant idea. It had to do with modifying wheelchairs in ways to make them more efficient, which I thought would be fantastic. And I worked up some loose sketches, and I thought about how this would actually be made, branding this, and actually getting it to the community that would need it. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't have been more excited, right? This was like a defining idea for me. And I had a friend who is in engineering, and he understood about manufacturing things and all of that. So I went and talked to him. I said, I need you to listen to this idea. I haven't told a single person. I was thinking about some of the challenges that people who are in wheelchairs have, and I came up with a design that I think will vastly, vastly improve the efficiency and ease of use of a wheelchair. And he's like, all right, let's hear it. I explained my idea to him. The idea is that you will put bicycle pedals out in front and that they can actually help to generate their own power with the bicycle wheels. My friend listens to the whole thing and sees how, how engaged I am in this. And he says, I do see one very small problem with this. And I go, what? 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 He goes, their legs don't work. <laughs> I felt this entire crash inside me, you know, every, everything. I was sad. It was, a, it was a death inside me. I was going to bring so much goodness to the world. So that was an idea that didn't make it off the drawing board for that tiny little detail. But your heart was in the right place. My heart was totally in it. I had sketches. <laughs> also, a lot of people call that a recombinant bicycle. Yes, it was before. It was before it or just before you were aware they existed? <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't stopped my publishing. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so I like that. You get credit for a truly volitionally bad idea. Okay. So let me transition to the bad idea I want to talk to you about. Mm -hmm. I found out, and I actually pitched this idea to you five years ago, hmm. and you too thought it was a horrible idea and wanted <laughs> nothing to do with it. <laughs> My goal here is to pitch this truly horrible idea, but I want somebody else to do it. So what I thought I would do is I would just pitch it at a 30,000 foot. All right, so this is mm -hmm. going to be my elevator pitch of what this is. Mm -hmm. And then we can talk about it more broadly. How does that sound? I'm ready. I can't wait. I pitched this idea to colleagues, to friends, to you, to <laughs> one of my favorite people in the whole world. He passed away a couple of years ago, Lyle Jones. Mm-hmm a titan of a human being. He was mm -hmm. in academia for 60 years. I told this idea to him over lunch, and he said, I'll tell you, it is not the worst idea I have ever heard in my life. And then he paused and he said, but let's be clear, it's pretty damn close. <laughs> so that kind of sets the stage. All right, are you ready for it? I am bracing myself, yes. PPR. Post-publication review. All right. In psychology, American Psychological Association has something like 30 official journals. Education. Do you guys have journals in education? I think we're going to eventually. There's talk about having journals. So at least you yeah. have a plan. Yep. All right. Yep. So these are the flagship journals in our field. Not totally, right? They're very important journals that are not APA journals. There's something like a modal rejection rate of 75, 80% across mm -hmm. these APA journals. And the truly flagship ones are closer to 90%. Mm -hmm. 
90% rejection. Now, what this means is the leading reviewers in the field, the vast majority of reviews that they provide are of articles that never see the light of day. Mm -hmm. Maybe they appear in some other journal, right? We're in a place right now and we could have another conversation about this is you can publish a dead cat if you (laughs) want, right? IJCC, the International Journal of Cat Cadavers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you have a dead cat, you can get it published in an open access journal. Mm -hmm. That's a conversation for another day. All right, so the vast majority of reviewer effort goes to manuscripts that are ultimately not published. Also, for substantive journals, there is very often, not always, but very often a single quantitative reviewer. There are two or three substantive reviewers, and then there's a single quantitative reviewer. Mm -hmm. So even those papers that are published, they may have been exposed to a single quant reviewer who may not have been the nation's expert in that particular area. So now we have an issue of IJCC. All right, I'm just going to make it up. It's going to be the International Journal of Cat Cadavers. That's going to be IJCC (laughs) is going to be our our target journal for this discussion. (laughs) I pick up an issue and there are 15 articles in it. Mm -hmm. Those are of varying quality with respect to quantitative methodology. I'm Mm -hmm. not talking the intro. I'm not talking the discussion. I'm not talking the theoretical question. I'm talking the middle of the paper. Methods and results. There is paper-to-paper variability in the quality of the sampling, the measure, the analysis. There's no way post-publication in a systematic way to assess it, right? It's kind of like an aircraft at LAX is once the gear are up and it's starting to gain altitude, the control tower says, good day, mm-hmm. and <laughs> turns it over to Pacific Central to guide it on wherever it's going. So the editor says, good day, and the journal publishes the paper and it's done. All right, a couple of things. One, that whole review process never sees the light of day. Mm-hmm. There's the, all of the reviews, all of the correspondence, all of that is functionally discarded. Mm-hmm. And users, so us in the field who are reading IJCC, if we're not experts in mixture modeling, we're not experts in network analysis, we just take it as given that the review process has vetted and approved this. But my premise is it hasn't. My premise is is there is individual variability in the relative quality of the methods and results. So here's my idea, my truly, deeply horrible idea. You and I start the Journal of Post-Publication Review. It's a virtual journal. It's online. Mm -hmm. But we pick a journal and we start IJCC. We're going to start with that as an initial Mm -hmm. one. We pick the most recent issue of the journal. You and I are co-founding editors. Now, all of this is is obviously moot because you said, over my dead body, will I ever do that? I still feel you trying to pull me backwards I off know, the, right? Off the over stand. Over my dead body. And I said, hey, there's a journal for that. <laughs> is you and I are co-founding editors. We create an editorial board. I open the first paper in the most recent issue of IJCC, and I see that it is mixture modeling. I send the paper that has already been published. I send the paper to Doug Steinle and Dan Bauer. And I say, I would like you to review the methods and the results of this manuscript. You two are among the world's leaders in this topic. I want you to give a quantitative methodological review of this article. Now, what we're going to talk about later is we're going to use a as-of-yet-to-be-developed QMI, Mm -hmm. which is the Quantitative Methods Index. Mm -hmm. All right? We are quantitative methods people. We are measurement people. And we are going to come up with an objective rubric for scoring different parts of the manuscript, whatever that might be. This has yet to be developed. So whoever is out there and is taking notes, this is a heavy lift that you're going to have to do. You're going to have sampling. You're going to have measurement. You're going to have all of these things, and then they're going to be subdomain scores. Dan and Doug review it for me. They send it back to me, and I write an overall evaluation based on their reviews and my own reading of that, that again is highly objective. But think about this review. It is not R&R. It is not the author's need to do this, or my enthusiasm is dampened, or this paper could be improved. This is out in the world, man. This lives Mm -hmm. in the wild. 
I write an objective evaluation. I assign it a numerical score on the QMI, mm-hmm. and this is publicly posted. And we do this for all the articles that are in a journal. This then grows. We pick other journals, we expand it, we build an editorial pool. I see many advantages to that. I know mm-hmm. I'm talking a lot, but this is the 30,000 foot, and we can yeah. go back and revisit this. All right, there are no open comments. This isn't Yelp. If you don't mm-hmm. like the guacamole at Margaret's <laughs> Cantina, just don't go back to Margaret's Cantina. I couldn't care less what you think about it. I think it's awesome. I couldn't care less what you think about it. So there are no open comments on this. What it does is it doesn't treat a published paper as set in stone. It's done, right? That they're all equally of high quality. This treats manuscripts as a living document. We can get an objective review by people who are truly experts in the field. Not me trying to half-ass what I read once in a paper that I prepped for a class. We have the leaders in the field talking about what was used in the paper. It allows a quality rating. You know, meta-analysts are saying, yeah, we try to do this, right? You have a score of a quality of a paper as you're doing a meta-analysis. Well, this is just an objective, formalized one that's available to anyone that if you're doing a lit review, think if you're a grad student and you go to a paper and you read it, you have an objective evaluation of that middle part of the paper that you can say, oh, these experts said this is really strong in this area, but limited in this other area. So it gives us a way of numerically evaluating the quality of the methods and the results. Here's what I'm most excited about. Everything is transparent. We publish the rubric. We publish the QMI. So authors can write future papers in anticipation of post-publication review. That Mm -hmm. you can anticipate how it's going to be evaluated so that you can articulate certain things in the paper that are going to be evaluated. Now, I'm not talking about padding it to get a higher score. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying it becomes cognizant. We work it into graduate training. We say these are subdomains that are critically important to the middle of the paper. You work it into a grad class and to say, here are things that you would consider. All right, now I pitch this. I pitch this to you. I pulled up an email from 2015. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to have to do a little bit of post editing bleeping on this because of the way <laughs> you and I email with one another, but I need you to get uh-huh. the sense of the communication of this. I won't read the whole email, but I pitched this very idea to you, mm-hmm. of which you walked away <laughs> saying, I want nothing to do with this. I have an alibi. There's <laughs> no way you can tie me to this. Mm-hmm. All right. So December 10th. 4.15 p.m. 2015, all right, five years ago. Hey, man, a few notes I made to myself for our talk tomorrow, Peren, assuming I don't tell your wife to f*** off again, Peren. <laughs> it came up in a prior episode where she called me. I picked it up thinking it was Greg. I said something I shouldn't have, and she panicked and hung up. I pulled all of this out of my and none of it is even remotely locked down. It's just somewhere to start. We develop a quantitative methods index has subdomain scores, overall domain scores. We apply QMI to all articles in a given journal. This avoids subjective selection process. We motivate the entire QMI by reproducibility. This is total bullshit, but it gives us some cover. So here's the one I like. (laughs) You and I co-founding editors, a mass editorial board that we handpick who don't annoy us. The next point is... After realizing everyone annoys us, we amass an editorial board of people who only moderately annoy us. (laughs) We publish QMI to help shape future publications. QMI is a training for quant and non-quant students. And the final point is we use the QMI to completely ostracize ourselves from the entire field. Done and done. (laughs) When I amass all my bad ideas across a lifetime Uh that starts with rear-ending my mom's car in the driveway (laughs) at 3 Uh a.m., if I sum over all of those, I still think jointly they do not approach the dumbness of the idea of post-publication review. I still Hmm. want to see it. I think the field can use it, and I think somebody should do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Talk to me, my friend. Wow. Right. Well, I will confess that there are aspects of this 
that I actually resonate with. They're not the first things that come out of me, but... (laughs) (laughs) We don't have to rank order. Go ahead. Let me tell you some things that I like about it. So this is right before we break up, right? Yes. It's not you. It's me, Patrick. (laughs) Okay. Wait, that's how it goes? I always Um, started with, it's not me, it's you. (laughs) Oh my God, I've had this backwards the whole time? Wow. Here we go. What this reminds me of is sort of like consumer reports that someone makes a dishwasher. A lot of people make dishwashers. And Consumer Reports has a list of all the things that dishwashers should do. They should be relatively quiet. They should get really, really hot. They should have a sterilized setting. They should have a pot setting. They should not keep telling you you need jet dry rinse agent. Every couple of days, Because they built a jet-dry reservoir that holds one half of one ounce. Exactly. Of course it's going to run out. Dear God. So I, I think about this as Consumer Reports really trying to be a resource for people to make educated decisions about, in that case, which dishwasher to buy. In this case, how to think about a particular work. And I don't disagree with that being a reasonable goal, just like I look at Consumer Reports before I buy a dishwasher. Other things that I like, I like a clear articulation of standards, right? I like people getting together and agreeing upon what makes something good, what makes something objectionable, because I believe ultimately that helps improve the field. I like all of these aspects of what you propose. And yet even you recognize this as a sort of crazy idea. Even Lyle Jones recognized this as a somewhat crazy idea. And I have enough issues with it that I'm I'm not so sure that this is a good thing actually to undertake. If someone else did it, hell yes. Go <laughs> There you go, Steve Bozinski. Get to work, dude. You call people at 5 a.m., Steve. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But there are aspects of this that absolutely... Oh, wait, I said but. I think we discussed You and I have gone through enough of these training sessions. I Mm -hmm. need to hear and. There are a number of things about this that I really think are positive aspects, Patrick. And I commend you on the thinking that has gone into this. And it also has some qualities that I think are pretty f-ing stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thank oh, that training was highly effective. <laughs> I have this wave of satisfaction that you don't even know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So all of the kinds of things that come to me are things that may have answers, right? So, And if you were pitching this... If you went to APA or you went to Sage or you went to Elsevier or wherever you did this, I think all of those would be horrible ideas. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. I got to add it to the list. Uh All right. Self-pedaling wheelchair (laughs) partner with Elsevier. Okay, got it. So all of these things are things that you would have to work through. right. First question right out of the gate. How do you get these reviewers I would do it in much the same way that we do for the current system. You amass a list of individuals who are willing to offer reviews. We have an editorial board. We organize those by content expertise. I open up IJCC, and they have an article that uses social network analysis. Mm -hmm. I pull up on my spreadsheet, and I find two people who are experts on social network analyses, I send them the paper, and I ask them to please submit a review. And their motivation to do this is? Precisely as it is now, Mm -hmm. to contribute to the field. It's service. What I just described is exactly how any of us get an article to review. How many of us right now who are listening feel guilty because we have one or two or three articles that are already past due that we haven't sent in a review. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same way. It's service to the field. It's just now, instead of 80% of your time going to articles that are never published, now I'm saying this has been published and printed, and I would like your evaluation of this for PPR. So let me ask the question differently. This is a little different than reviewing for a journal. This is post-publication review. 
you had said on your list of things originally about ostracizing oneself. <laughs> uh, so in essence, this is you falling off the back riser during a <laughs> during a performance and not only trying to take me with you, but maybe trying to take every single person who serves in this review stable with you. So let me ask you, what actually is the motivation to do this? Because this is a little bit different from deciding whether or not a paper gets into a flagship journal. This is going to a paper that has already been deemed to have met whatever the internal standards are and coming in and doing a review of what has been reviewed. So this is not just passing judgment on the work. This is also passing judgment on the author. It is passing judgment on the people who have reviewed this. It is passing judgment on the associated editors, the editors, and the journal overall. You were someone who was interested in a law enforcement career. What is the division within the police force that is most hated by people within the police force? IAD. (laughs) Exactly. Internal affairs. (laughs) Right. So this to me... Smells like IAD, that people are going to come in and police the police, you know, as much as possible. Again, this is not about the quality of the idea or the intention, the noble goals maybe of the idea. This is who would want to serve on IAD. Okay, so there are a couple of things at hand here. I'm really glad you invoked the IAD because I haven't thought about that before, but in the law enforcement structure, is there anything more important Mm -hmm. than an internal monitoring of appropriate behavior within your own institution? IAD may be the most hated, but it also I view as one of the most critically important, especially when you involve community representatives outside and you are policing the police. And I think that's a wonderful analogy to how I'm thinking about it. Because first, let me jump back to we're making some assessment about the reviewers, the author, the work, the editorial Mm -hmm. process. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what any reader of a journal article does when they evaluate a manuscript. When you sit down and you cock an eyebrow and say, really, that's what they did? I wouldn't have done that. We do that with every paper that we read in our own work. Let me give you a brief side story, and then I'll come back to this, and it's very brief. Mm -hmm. You know how I got this idea? It was because I procrastinated. I was teaching structure equation modeling a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. I give problem sets. I was supposed to prep a data file for a problem set to assign, and I forgot. I just forgot. And it was half an hour before class. I needed to assign the problem set, and I'd completely forgotten to do it, and I didn't have time. And I was like, oh, crap, what do I do? I pulled out of the air, and I said, pick a published journal article Mm -hmm. in your field from your flagship journal in the last year that uses some aspect of what we've talked about in class. Path analysis, factor analysis, a full SEM, multiple group, whatever we've talked about. Find something and write a review of it as you would if it were submitted. Mm -hmm. I have to admit it was a total throwaway assignment. I was just like, yeah, whatever. I dropped the ball on this one and this will give me a problem set that I can assign. I now do this in all of my classes. It was complete accident. Even a blind pig finds an acorn. It worked amazingly because 30 of these crazy smart doctoral students submitted really thoughtful, careful reviews of published papers. And oh my God, the stuff that they caught, Mm -hmm. the things that they identified. I graded all of these myself. And some of these papers should not have been published, Mm -hmm. or this should have been addressed, or there should be a footnote, or this. That's what gave me the idea. We're having 30 smart doctoral students review 12-month-old papers in their flagship journals with a lens of what we talked about in class. It was astounding the things that these students found in these papers. So one is that was my motivation for the whole Mm -hmm. thing. Two, going back to who would be involved with this, the same people who are involved in the front-end review of it. Your name as a reviewer is not affixed to it. The only names that people see are me and you. Mm -hmm. We have an editorial board that we publish, but you don't know who wrote Reviewer 1 and Reviewer 2. It's still anonymous, 
<laughs> maybe you can break the cardinal rule and try to guess who the reviewer is. That's always horrible to do because I've been completely annoyed at people who I've just known have been a reviewer and then years later find out they weren't. Mm. I was like, oh, sorry, <laughs> uh, my bad. Sorry about that. Why would they put themselves in that position? Because they're passionately dedicated to the science. And why is a published paper sacrosanct? Why can we not review a paper that's already been reviewed? I think it's how the science should move forward as a field. Mm -hmm. I admire your passion. Let me ask you, if you take a given paper and you give it to multiple of your students with whatever criteria you've developed in class... Do they all catch the same thing? How does that work when you give the same paper to multiple people? In my class, I don't. I allow mm -hmm. them to pick whatever paper is important to them in their field from their flagship journal. However, as an associate editor, I get three or four reviews from leaders in the field of the same manuscript, and the technical mm -hmm. term is they're all over Hell's Half Acre. Mm -hmm. Some people go nuts over one thing, and another person doesn't even note it in their review. So there's tremendous heterogeneity. So then where do the standards come from? And this is me just playing devil's advocate. Where do the standards come from that these experts are imposing when they're doing this post-publication review? All right, so... This is where things start getting a little tricky, mm -hmm. all right? This point, not like everything that brought us up to here. <laughs> this point. There are standards out the wazoo that exist, mm -hmm. right? One thing I want to make painfully clear is I'm not saying, you know, somebody should really think about publication standards. Every mm -hmm. field has publication standards. Every field. Mm -hmm. These are well-developed, thoughtful, highly applicable. You and I develop them. You and I draw on existing standards, but again, I am not interested in the introduction, and I am not interested in the discussion, all right? Our entire endeavor is based on the premise that introductions and discussions are a waste of valuable journal space. I want to found the Journal of Methods and Results, because the discussion is in table five. Mm -hmm. Look at the freaking factor loadings. That's your discussion. All right, so that's the motivation here. But I am saying you and I would develop those standards. Hmm. So on the front end, we would work based on our stable of experts out there. Because when you say you and I, you and I don't know everything about every method that's out there. So you and I would pick a method, like let's say cluster analysis, and you and I would come up with standards for what it means to apply cluster analysis properly in an article, and then we would hand that list to our reviewers and, or our grad students or whomever and say, hey, go ahead, use this, see what you got. I don't know. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. I would not see it that detailed, that pedantic. And I don't use pedantic in a pejorative term there. As I just mean specific and detailed in that way for cluster analysis. I'd see broader domains. Mm. All right, so APA published uh, journal standards a couple of years ago. Mark Applebaum was the mm -hmm. head for quantitative ones, wrote a brilliant paper with colleagues. I don't have them at my fingertips, and I apologize, but Mark was the lead author. And it's reporting standards for the quantitative aspects of a paper. Mm -hmm. And they go through and very nicely lay out these reporting standards for structural equation models, for longitudinal models, whatever it is. I would see having something similar, but I don't know whether we take those whole cloth, whether we distill those down. I don't want it to turn into a pebble picking kind of endeavor where if you used k-means clustering, did you report this or this? Mm -hmm. So I haven't gotten this level of detail. I don't know. This is part of the fun part of the ideas that this would have to be developed. I would envision building a stable of women and men who are the experts in the world across a set of domains that we would determine to be fundamental to our field. And I would jointly develop a domain analysis of if you were to review a paper on social network analysis, what are the cardinal things that you would want to see? So I, I don't know. That's a mm -hmm. work in progress. And when I say work in progress, I mean I've done nothing about it at all. <laughs> right. And hope that other people will. Or maybe not. Okay, that was a little shiv. <laughs> Third and fourth ribs. 
Okay, so we have a domain towards your point. Bauer and Steinle are going to review this mixture model, and I would send them a rubric that is broad about sampling, measurement, analysis, and maybe a specific domain to mixture modeling Mm -hmm. that would guide their review. All right. So next question. I'm just, this is just stuff that's coming up to me because I haven't thought about this for a very long time. When you think of the journals in your field, just as other people do in their own fields, you think of things in terms of a hierarchy oftentimes, right? People know what the top journals are in their field, or people might know what top journals are with respect to specific subject matter, and people know what the lower end journals are. Journals are at different levels for a variety of reasons. It might have to do with editorial boards. It might have to do with other stuff. Is your goal to browbeat the less developed lower food chain journals into elevating them to be like the flagship journals? My concern, and again, this is me just sort of spitballing here, is that sometimes journals are good enough. Sometimes the methods that we use are good enough even if we aren't using the most recent developments, even if we don't actually understand every single thing there is about what we have done. There are sometimes just good enough efforts out there. So talk to me about if that's all just nonsense, a way of viewing things. Ironically, for as bad an idea as this is in all the obvious ways, I couldn't agree with you more in that good enough principle, Mm -hmm. right? Willa talked about that at one point of the good enough principle and Mm -hmm. having that be an eye-opening learning. And I completely agree. And I am aggressively supportive of, do I know something more than I knew before? Even if there are 20 caveats on it, do I know something more about the development of an adolescent than I knew going into this? And can this be a pebble in the pile to move us forward as a science? Mm -hmm. I am so enthusiastic about novel ways, about creative approaches, about enticing findings that need to be replicated and expanded. My goal on all of this with the PPR has nothing to do with journals other than the flagships. And my Mm -hmm. rationale is if you're going to run with the bulls at Pamplona, Mm -hmm. then you damn well better be able to step up to the bar and defend what you did and have that evaluated by a panel of experts. I wouldn't grow into where all journals would do this. Mm -hmm. I'm talking... You pick a flagship journal and you treat it like the starting batting order, the New York Yankees. This is the best of the best. This is what our field has to offer. You make that your special little project. Yeah, I'm going to bring you something, all right? Decided to make you a special project of mine. You ain't going to have to come look for me at all. We have a responsibility as a field to continue to evaluate that work in a systematic and objective way. Why should the appearance in the pages of a journal mean that that public evaluation is over, Mm -hmm. that that's done, that it's carved in Moses's tablet? All pay heed. The Lord has given unto you these 15, 10, 10 commandments. And now we move on to our next thing. We don't say good day to the pilot. We have a responsibility as a field to take the top tier of what we view as contributions to our field and beat it with a stick. Okay, that was helpful that you think about this as the elite of the elite, sort of holding them to a very, very high standard. Let me ask you about this from an author's perspective. So you are an emerging scholar. You're someone earlier in your career. And you have gotten a paper accepted into what would be considered a flagship journal in your field, let's say child development. Along comes IAD and evaluates your work very, very poorly. Gives you a low, what what was QMI? QMI, Quantitative Methods Index. There we go. So your work gets a low QMI. What should happen with that information right now? Emerging scholar has a low QMI. It's out there in front of, I assume, God and everybody posted on your fancy website that so-and-so emerging scholar from so-and-so university got this paper published in child development and got a very, very low QMI score. What happens with that information now? Not your problem? 
All right, let me double down on what we're talking about here and how truly mm-hmm. bad an idea this is. I couldn't care less what stage they are in their career. Why mm-hmm. would that moderate anything? If it were my daughter that submitted, if it was you that submitted, if it was Moses himself who submitted mm-hmm. a paper, if it appears in the pages of a flagship journal in your field, your point in your career is irrelevant. Are you arguing that I should give some form of protection so I don't hurt their advancement in the career or hurt their feelings or make them feel bad about themselves? Again, running with the bulls, man. If you're Mm going to place your work in the highest tier, Mm -hmm. you are opening it to God and country to evaluate. People are doing that anyway. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to do is organize it in some way where the experts in the field can weigh in in some objective and structured manner. So just being Mm -hmm. argumentative, I'm not as hard-ass as that sounds, but it's Mm -hmm. kind of fun to argue about. I will double down on mine, is I would say I couldn't care less where they are in their career because it's not an evaluation of the author. It's an evaluation of the paper. The very first thing I train my students in writing a review is never invoke a criticism of the authors Mm -hmm. in your review. You are talking about the manuscript. And so if my own daughter submitted one as a 16-year-old high school student, and it was the opening paper in the most recent issue of child development, she should be evaluated with the same degree of objective skepticism as the senior leading person in the field. So you and I are... (laughs) are almost bizarrely alike in many things, right? So we're not 30th place medal kinds of people. We are strangely, simultaneously, I think, people who care very deeply about mentoring and also people who believe you have to meet standards, right? That I'm not going to lower the standards. I'm going to work very hard to get you up to those standards. So I, I understand where you're coming from. There are no two words in the English language more harmful Good job. But I'm asking you more on a practical level. So Scholar X is approaching tenure review, has a paper in child development, so has met the standards of getting a paper into child development. Mm -hmm. People are sitting around the table evaluating the portfolio of this individual. Someone goes over to QMI.org or whatever it is. uh, Ooh, I like that. I'm going (laughs) to... Just a second. Okay, got it. (laughs) And pulls up the score associated with this particular work. Mm -hmm. All right. Is it reasonable that this should contribute to maybe deal-breaking it for this particular person? Is that, I'm just asking you, is that a reasonable service that this would provide? (sighs) All right. This goes back to context, right? Fora, remember when we talked about I fight good for an old guy is that's Mm -hmm. giant for a chipmunk. Mm -hmm. The worst paper in 2019 in child development is still a child development publication, Mm -hmm. right? It is in the 10% that were accepted and put into the flagship journal. Mm -hmm. I could think of this as the Olympics. If you qualify for the Olympics, holy crap, that's a huge success. Kind of sucks you came in 10th place, (laughs) but that means that you're 10th in the world in what you do. My paper was the Jamaican bobsled of child development. You know, That's but awesome. you're still there, right? Uh-huh. You are still there. Yes, the Jamaican bobsled is the funny thing, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'm talking about you're from the Rockies in Colorado and you're a downhill skier and you're competing with the best skiers in the world and your shoulder bumps a gate and takes a hundredth of a second off of your time and you're off the podium. Liggity making some sweet turns on top, and he maintains, losing a little time though. Not much, two chance spin, no! In fact, hooking a gate, and Liggity is out! Mm -hmm. Because you brushed a gate. You're still in the Olympics. I would say this is contextual. I would say if you got a poor score on the QMI in child development, I would say it's up to the review committee to say, let's not lose sight that she published her dissertation in child development. This is a huge achievement. Mm -hmm. And yes, there were some limitations that were associated with the design. But 
I'm honestly, I'm not worried about that because again, it's not about her. It's about the paper. Mm -hmm. Another grad student coming up through the system can read her paper and have a panel of experts identify what are the strengths because everything we've been talking about right now been focused on limitations is Mm -hmm. i would envision an equal evaluation of what are the strengths of this manuscript and what are the limitations of this manuscript that is a third year grad student you can read this 2019 paper have your own evaluation of the work but then be able to go to qmi.org and see a one-page synopsis of the strengths and the weaknesses as evaluated by experts in the world. I super would not want to see the QMI become like an H-index. Yeah, That is not my goal at all. This is how do we improve our science and move forward in a principled and reproducible way And if this happens to come up in a sentence in a promotion review letter, that's not my intent and that's not my problem. Mm -hmm. All right. So two more things come to mind, and I view it as my job to poke at you over these things. Thing one, is there an opportunity for authors to respond to this? Excellent question, and I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. The two things I puzzled through were, do you invite an author response and do you open it for either moderated or unmoderated comments? Mm-hmm. Toward the latter, I kind of fall on a firm no. Again, I don't want to yelp for published papers. Right. Just look at SEMnet discussions of model fit and you get that half a second of thought and say no. This is not an open forum. Mm -hmm. I would see no reason why I would not invite an author's response Mm -hmm. to that. I think that would be nice, right? And again, it treats it as a living document. The thing that I'm responding to is right now is if something appears in a journal, it's done. It's carved in stone. We're finished. To be able to have a published article... To have it reviewed by experts, have those reviews posted, have a response by the author in reaction to those reviews. I love that idea. Okay. For me, I can't even see this as a viable idea without giving the authors a role in something that would be a brief dialogue, not something that keeps going back and forth. What this also makes me wonder about, though, is that this is post-publication review, and Ultimately, I think the goal is to, wouldn't the goal be to make all post-publication reviews tens? Oh, absolutely. Right. So it would ideally be that you would put yourself out of business in that sense. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Is my Mm -hmm. long con on the whole thing would be to make us irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So is there a way for this to play a role (laughs) (laughs) pre-post-publication? I think that's called article review. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. But this is a very specific article review process, right? At applied journals, you might be lucky to get a quantitative methodologist as one of the reviewers, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it might be the case that you get three reviewers, one of whom has used a particular type of analysis. And congratulations, you are the methodological watchdog for this particular manuscript that's being reviewed. Is there a way to set up such a panel that really is focused on methodology, like pre-registering a study, the idea that one is pre-registering things methodologically through such a panel so that the idea of post-publication review even becomes somewhat moot from a quantitative standpoint because there has been this gauntlet prior to publication? I know that's not your idea, but I would love to see this happen even before someone gets to that place. I really like that idea, and I haven't thought about that, so I'm just kind of riffing on what you're saying in real time. In part, I think the problem goes back to 80 or 90% of flagship submissions aren't published in that journal Mm -hmm. to take an unconditional draw from that pool. So any, any manuscript that's submitted, it would be a waste of resources to put three quantitative reviewers on it mm-hmm. when the substantive person may say, this is not a good theoretical contribution, it's not a unique contribution, whatnot. What I would see is the practical use of limited resources is you would try to narrow that down to a 10% and then have that reviewed by two or three quantitative experts 
But that would really suck for authors because it would almost be like a second review process. So you're triaged through the usual review process, Mm -hmm. and now we're going to send it out to three experts in mixture modeling who are going to tell you you have to completely redo your analyses. I like that idea, but I don't see it as practical. Given the limited resources and how the system is currently set up, I think you'd almost have to reevaluate how the typical review process operates to allow for that kind of quantitative review. I like that idea, Mm -hmm. but I think that's a deeper change to how we adjudicate manuscripts more broadly in our current system. It would be. You would have two tiers to this in some way, right? Maybe you make it through the first review process, which might be 80% substantive and 20% quantitative or something. Then you have the second level certification where you go through a panel of methodologists who really try to pick stuff apart. It just sets up a second hurdle. Could also be the first review. It was just a matter of trying to balance resources where, well, you got over this hurdle. It's a good idea. And they're supportive of what you're doing, but there are some methodological concerns that were raised in that review. The only reason I'm thinking out loud about these issues is that I would love to be preventive in all of this right? I Mm -hmm. I would love for all of this to be ironed out, as I said, you know, for everybody to get a 10 in the end, because they have earned a 10. And one way to do that is by (laughs) giving lots of papers low scores, I mean, deserved low scores, and then have the process iterate, iterate, iterate until things have been worked out internally by virtue of authors knowing what you're looking for in their dishwashers before they manufacture a dishwasher. Yeah, I'm trying to put your idea in the context of a larger Mm -hmm. process, and I don't know if a role that's just post is the final answer. I don't know. Yeah. A couple of thoughts. One, it was just a throwaway word you used moving through to another point, but one that I want to kind of go back to and make super clear. You used the word certification. I Mm -hmm. do not in any way see this process of somehow affixing a QMI gold star of approval, right? I Mm -hmm. hate that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't mean even (laughs) accidentally to imply that some panel of high priestesses are going to (laughs) approve or disapprove of Uh a paper. Rotten tomatoes. (laughs) No, 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 no. Exactly. Is... Certified fresh. Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely not. But, you know, now that I think about it a bit more, that notion that is the goal to put ourselves out of business where everybody gets a 10, actually, I may walk that back a little bit because that implies they're 10s, they're perfect papers, that there's a manuscript out there beyond the horizon that is bulletproof. There's not a single thing in that paper that would be a limitation or a cause for concern or something that could be improved upon. I actually might walk that back a little bit and say, even the best papers written, wouldn't you like to hear a couple of experts in the field talk about the pros and cons, the limitations, a concession. Mm -hmm. The authors had to do this to allow themselves to do this other thing, but you need to keep in mind that this concession was made. Imagine that you're reading a paper that is using a method that is proposed by Bryken Roudenbush, and to hear what Bryken Roudenbush have to say about that. That's like a dream. If you're an, a consumer of research, if you're looking at a Hancock and Preacher method of making interpretable nonlinear effects, and you're using that method to have a couple of lines by Hancock and Preacher that talk about that in some way. To me, I feel like that's where we need to go as a science, right? We need to treat these things as living documents. I think that if you're going to place your work in a premier journal, You are publishing that to the world's eyes, and I have every right to do an objective evaluation of that and post that on my website. I embrace every aspect of how truly horrible this is as an idea. On an intellectual basis, this is rear-ending your mother's car at three in the morning in your own driveway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think somebody should do this. May I ask you what Lyle Jones said when you pitched this? Did he say something more than this is really close to being one of the worst ideas ever? (laughs) 
a lot of what you said, you two had very similar kind of reactions. He too was deeply supportive of younger career people Mm -hmm. fostering our science in a constructive, positive way. And he was concerned about naming of names. I have a list in front of me of people who are known to have not done a likelihood ratio test instead of comparing a BIC. He was worried about that. I have doubled down on my view in a way just for kind of fun and being argumentative. As I share that Mm -hmm. support and bringing up the next generation, I totally do. And so I've been a little hyperbolic, but I would say I've not been entirely hyperbolic. I feel Mm -hmm. that if there is a work that is in the highest levels of publication out of respect for our science... I think that we should continually evaluate work in this way because we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to our field. And again, it's not an evaluation of the person. It's an evaluation of the paper. And I know that those are inextricably combined, but I think this could be done in a way to extricate those. So we should turn this out to the people who are listening, right? What do you think? Crazy idea? Good idea. I'd be very interested to see where people fall on this. Are you emboldened in any way now? Are you going to send me another message now in the, on the five-year anniversary of your original crazy message and say, heck yeah, let's do this now? I remain excited about the idea. Mm-hmm. If we had not started this boondoggle of the mm-hmm. podcast, I still would be puzzling through this. Mm-hmm. I dug up some notes in preparation for today just to remind myself where I left off. I actually have a prospectus. Mm-hmm. written out for this. Here, I print it. Where is it? As I finish things, I drop them on the floor, and so I don't even know where it went. Jeez, I printed it out, and now I can't even find it. Oh, here it is. The Journal of Post-Publication Peer Review, G.R. Hancock and P.J. Kerr and co-founding editors, premise, mission, editorial oversight, process, limitations, development. I would really like to see this happen. Mm-hmm. I am not going to do it. But if someone out there were saying, I really like bad ideas, (laughs) they would have my total support. But before we got that far, I kind of like your call. We've got some wonderful folks who post to the Twitter account. I would love a conversation on this. I would love to Mm -hmm. hear what other people's opinions are. I see every limitation that you've articulated. I really do. But... I also see the end result is outweighing those potential limitations. And I feel like air traps can be built in, safety measures can be built Mm -hmm. in to protect against a lot of the concerns that we have. Even after this discussion, which I've loved, you've given me a lot of things Mm -hmm. to think about. But I think that the end product is worth those costs of how important this is to our field. Well, I look forward to hearing what other folks think about this with their tweets and thoughts. As we talk about it, for all the devil's advocate kinds of things that I say, there is a part of me that still resonates with this as a quality activity to do. Yeah, I don't think we fell off the back of the riser yet. We're pretty damn close, (laughs) as Lyle would say. Uh So really what we need to know, is this the future of our field or are you standing in your driveway at 3 a.m. watching the light come on in your Mm -hmm. parents' bedroom? (laughs) That's what we need to figure out. On that note, thanks everybody for tolerating us in this discussion and who knows what might come of it. So maybe this is a seed that you're planting out there that someone will water and ruin their career over. So. Or be grounded for six months. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Hypothetically. <laughs> Hypothetically. Take care, right. everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Be sure to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to listen to other people's bad ideas that make your own seem not so bad after all. And please leave us a review. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at QuantitudePod or visit our website, QuantitudePod.org, to check out past episodes and other cool stuff. Finally, you can get Quantastic Quantitude merch at Redbubble.com, where all proceeds go to donors choose to support remote access in low-income schools. You have been listening to Quantitude, as bad an idea as the Electoral College. 
Quantitude has been brought to you by a string of bad ideas, including a new fourth missing data mechanism called MC for missing completely. I mean, all of it, just gone. By Unicot, a new link function that expands nonlinear models from boring dichotomous scales to highly stable unichotomous outcomes. When you want to explain 100% of your observed variance, 100% of the time. By Proc Discuss, a new SAS procedure that writes your discussion section based on your final model estimates. And by the Retrospective Pretest, an efficient single time point design for making longitudinal inferences from your one time point. Oh, wait a minute. This is most definitely not NPR.